Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO, and today we're back in the studio and I've got a new friend on the phone with us coming all the way from Portland, Oregon, I believe. Seaside, Oregon. I was close. Seaside, Oregon. Yeah. Glenn Gaither. Glenn, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. Glenn, where is Seaside in relation to Portland, since I mentioned Portland? How far are you guys from? Um, I I think we're about 100 miles uh, west of Portland. I'm like right on the coast. Oh, it's got to be beautiful. Personally, I'm two two blocks from the beach. Oh. So... Now we're we're about thirty minutes to the water here in Connecticut, and that's Long Island Sound. So we've got Long Island on the other side of the the water there, which is depending on where you are, it could be as close as I think three miles and as far as seven miles. So you can still see the body of water until you can see the Atlantic yeah. Ocean. So Connecticut, we, you know, we always say like we're on the shore, but yeah, we've got Long Island in front of us. That kind of takes away the view of the ocean. Uh, you got to go to Rhode Island to actually, you know, see most of, you know, not have anything really in front of you. Uh, so it's a little deceiving when we say we're on the coast. Uh, I always kind of joke with people about that, but that's got to be pretty, pretty beautiful if you're two blocks away from the water. Yeah, this was, uh, this was my retirement spot. I, I, the last time I lived in Seaside was in first grade. So that was like 1968 or something like that. So I decided to come back. Well, now you just age yourself for listeners at home. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm older than 58. I'm not 59. I'm doing the countdown to 60. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Like, well, there's a big number. Yeah. Well, it's it's, like, you know, it seemed like that's always the countdown, right? Oh, the 40s. Yeah, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. It is just a number, though. Let's remember that. Yeah, it is just a number, that literally. That is, is literally just a number. Well, for our audience at home, and I, and I say new friend, and, and someone, um, full disclosure here, Glenn, you emailed me about two weeks ago, and this is going to air in a couple weeks, so this will air in July. Um, so you emailed me end of June about your story. And I got to be honest with you, Glenn, when I got the email, I was like, okay, uh, it's kind of a crazy time. Uh, I think we, just before maybe one of the races had canceled. So, you know, a lot of emails coming into the office here and then you gave me kind of your story and I was kind of like blown away by it. And then, you know, looking into your story, you know, something that's been part of the foundation since day one has been our patient financial aid program. And you so nicely in your email reminded me that we had helped you when you were battling pancreatic cancer back in 2017. So I had the staff, you know, pull your file and lo and behold, there we go. We found uh, your application dating back to 2017. So it's amazing, you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking a bit like how this kind of takes me back a little bit emotionally because to think and we're going to talk about your story here in a minute what you've gone through and you know we provided this assistance and what that meant to you and then to come back full circle and to reach out to us to help raise awareness and share your journey is really really special so uh really appreciate you doing that and with that i want to give you the opportunity like we do all our guests to share your backstory And as I say, 
you know, you can go as far back as you want. You can stay as high level as you want, and then we'll take it from there. The whole cancer journey was, uh, it was, it was different, I think for me than it may have been for others. I had, I'd lost uh, a close friend, Steve Ford, to pancreatic cancer. <clears throat> he, uh, I mean, he was also a set, you know, fairly athletic guy. And, uh, I remember when he got it, uh, he, he made it two months, two months, you know, and I watched him go from being a really fit guy, you know, about my same age. I think he was maybe a year older, <clears throat> uh, just disappear in front of my eyes. I mean, he, he might've weighed 80 pounds, 90 tops, uh, when he passed and he, and he uh, it was, it was pretty traumatic. And, um, I was working in the infirmary ward as the, as the ward officer at the time. And I remember the nurses, you know, when he wasn't around, we would talk because we were, you know, we loved the guy and we were concerned about how, uh, the odds were like really, really, really stacked against him. And, you know, he was also, uh, diabetic, but he had that un somewhat under control. And, uh, you know, and then he passed and it, it was hard. It was hard watching him go through that. And I don't think that people really fully understand that, you know, the impact of cancer on, on the individual going through it, uh, until you're, you're the patient. You know, that's the big thing. The giant light goes on and, um, you start focusing on trying to figure out a solution. You know, you're thinking to yourself, wow, I was just like really healthy one day. Uh, and I've been a, been a runner since 1974, uh, which is a long time to run and always stayed healthy and in shape and thought I had a really good diet. And, uh, you know, then you get the news and you're just like, uh, Okay, I messed up. Game over. Um, but and I watching him go through that was hard, you know. So I got a lot of information from them on what he was going through before I got sick. And so I had uh, it was kind of weird. I had I did this race up in the Olympics called the Beast of Big Creek, which is only like a half marathon, but it is like a straight up and straight down half marathon. One of my favorite local races. And I felt a little bit, you know, nauseous at the end of the race, kind of like, wow, I feel off somewhat, but it was a hot day. So I kind of contributed to that, contributed to that. Uh, but that feeling never went away. I was just like, just a little bit of nausea and I had to sit down after I ate a meal. Uh, I wasn't fatigued. Uh, I was having a hard time like drinking water when I was on my longer runs which was odd. And so I decided on my day off, I was like, well, I'll just go into the walking clinic and, um, you know, we'll get this figured out so I can get back to my training program. Cause I had, uh, a hundred mile race coming up in Utah in October. And it was an important race for me because I was trying to get points together so I could get into the lottery, uh, for UTMB, which is ultra trail, uh, Mont Blanc in Chamonix, France. It actually goes 
through France and Italy and Switzerland, like big giant loop. And, uh, so I had that all planned out. You know, I had my nutrition down. I was training. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And, uh, I go into the clinic, you know, they have you pee in a cup. They do a little bit of a blood testing. Uh, and the, the PA, she was really good. Um, comes back and she was like, well, uh, how much alcohol do you consume? Uh, one or two. She said, I was like, at tops. And she was like, every day? I was like, no, like in a one-year period. She was like, have you ever been an alcoholic? I was like, I don't, I don't think so. I'm one or two drinks a year. So it was like alcohol was never my thing. And she kind of got a concerned look on her face. And she was like, well, I'm going to send you over to Mason General to do an ultrasound. Because she thought there may have been like some gallbladder issue. Mm. Okay. So I get over there and they're like, we can't find your gallbladder. And I'm like, what? is that a problem? That's crazy. <laughs> when did you have it removed? I was like, I've never had it removed. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. If somebody would have cut into my body, I would have known about it. So the, the one thing that she had said, though, like, right, right when she sent me over there, she was like, go over there. You know, and you usually hear the thing, yeah, the sound, we got your blood work. We'll call you in a week. But she was like, when you get done, come right back. So I was like, okay. I'd never heard that before. Hmm. And uh, I thought I was going just down for a PET scan. And I got admitted. Surprise. So I was like, I, was like, I don't feel that sick. That I think I should be admitted to a hospital. And they did this thing where they like, they put me on a liquid diet and then they did starving and they check my blood work and they did do another PET scan. I did that for three days and I was missing work and I was going, Hey, I kind of got to get back to work. <laughs> and, um, they're like, well, we're going to send you up to, uh, Virginia Mason. And then, uh, Monday, they're going to do an endoscopic ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. I just, like, I, I just started getting my clothes together, getting dressed because I thought I was going to drive up to Virginia Mason on Monday morning and get this endoscopic ultrasound. But uh, like 10 minutes later, an ambulance crew shows up. I'm like, I'm like, Les is getting out of hand. And, uh, you know, the doctor was like, no, no, it's just because we have to. We can't break the chain of care. And so I was like, well, I got my truck out in the parking lot here you know I, I was by myself at the time and uh i got younger kids that live with my ex-wife so i had like hey i'm not gonna be able to make it for my visit this week uh, in the hospital they're sending me up north and they did the uh, endoscopic ultrasound they found uh well, there's some blockage in the ancillaries tubes coming down and um they did a biopsy and, uh, you know, they came back after the surgery. I felt better, hmm. you know, so my appetite had kind of dropped off a little bit. So I was able to eat more. And, uh, the very next, you know, they told me, yeah, Thursday or Friday, we'll have your results. Okay. We'll kick you out of here tomorrow morning. And, fine. and the very next morning, instead of getting kicked out, they, uh, they sent two other doctors I had never seen before in there to talk to me about cancer. I was like, you know, and then when they drew the little 
uh, they got like the whiteboards in the hospital. Room. Yeah. And, you know, they got the nurses up there. They kind of like wiped off a little area and then they drew this little thing and then they drew the pancreas. And I was like, hold up a minute. I was like, that's my pancreas that you're drawing there. They're like, yes. And I was like, are you trying to tell me I got pancreatic cancer? And the guy was like, yes. And I remember the first first two things I, I said was like, I was like, first thing I said, I've got a race next month. <laughs> And B, that's just lethal. Excuse my language. But um, yeah, that was like, that was my first two thoughts. I got a race and this is going to kill me. So, and those two things are not conducive to each other. So this was all in August of 16 then, like right before all this, in terms of timeline. So around August of 16. So I'm going to pause here for a second, Glenn, because I want to ask you this. And and I know hindsight's always 2020. But as you mentioned, like you're running a lot, you're training. I mean, UTMB, I mean, I've heard of the race. I don't know anyone personally. I vaguely know someone that I know who competed in it, I think last year or the year before. And he's like a maniac runner, you know, and, and I consider myself a runner, but then there's like that other level. And I mean, you just can't, it's not one of those races where you just can sign up for um, no, you know, it's well, not, it's well, not like, yeah, Hey, bro. I want to do that race. I'm just going to pay the fee. And then I'll just show up there in France and, and run the race. Like you, you've got to be in, in really good shape. You've got to be at a certain level. So with that being said, just, I want to draw this picture for audience. Like you're training, like a professional athlete. Did you notice anything different? Well, I mean, not, well, Yes and no. I mean, it's like it started at that on that last shorter race, and um, the UTMB isn't just one race. There are other, you know, there's like seven or eight different races. The UTMB you have you have the the big race, which is the 167k. Now you also have the CCC, which is 200k. Uh, but then you also have uh, the TDS, which is 80 80k. Um, uh, I can't remember a couple of the other races were like right at a hundred K, uh, and a marathon. And yeah, I was going for the big one. I was working on my points cause you have to have six points just to get, you know, the ability to put in for the lottery to hope that you get drawn. Yeah. So I was running, I was running about 50 to 60 miles a week. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, 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 that's a lot of, that's a lot of mileage. So yeah. it's just not, you know, he just didn't decide like, Hey, I'm going to run this race and uh, you know, very little training. So your training no. is intense. So other than that last race, were there times, and again, hindsight's always 2020. And the reason why I ask because it's really fascinating to me, I've, I've asked all the survivors on our podcast, this question. And again, hindsight's always 2020, but were there signs or symptoms ahead of time that looking back, you can say, yeah, that definitely was a sign that I missed, but it was so, you know, I was caught up in the moment or, you know, it was so vague yeah. that it just didn't resonate with me at that time. And, and you know, these are things that I think, you know, from the general public, like people don't think, like people don't think about like, oh, I've got crazy diarrhea for two weeks. Like, could that be pancreatic cancer? They don't think yeah. that way. But it could be, you know, because we've had people on the podcast that have talked about that symptom, 
you know, or people with crazy rashes that just show up that, you know, there's no explanation for them. Could that be pancreatic cancer? Well, we've had people on the podcast talk about that, that that could be it. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, the onset of symptoms, you know, were pretty mild at first. Um, two things that I kind of looked back later and I was like, well, that was kind of odd. Uh, like I hate blackberries. I just like that. I think it was like the nastiest berry that was out there. Hmm. But that summer, earlier on that summer, once I started noticing when I'm on my trail runs, I noticed the berries were ripe and I just started, and I was like, hey, I'll have one of these. And I was like craving these things every time I went out to run. Hmm. So I was, I was running, eating blackberries as I'm running, you know, hydrating. I got my snacks and my run vest. And I was like, well, maybe blackberries aren't so bad. And I got to where I enjoyed them. And I started eating a bunch of these blackberries. And, you know, later on, I find out when I'm doing research on nutrition and pancreatic cancer, like blackberries is like one of the big things that, they, you know, in a natural world as a food item helps like pancreatic cancer specifically. So I was like, was my body trying to tell me, hey, you're missing something here? There's a problem going on and we're trying to compensate. I don't know. Uh, I noticed that uh, my bowel movements uh, for weeks uh, prior to uh, my diagnosis, you know, maybe even like a couple of months, I just wasn't really that concerned with it because there was no pain. But my stool color was like really light in color, almost white sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the mm -hmm. heck is that all about? Mm -hmm. Which yeah, is a big so one. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I was like going through my head. What am I eating? Yeah, I'm not hydrating enough, you know, da 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 da. I, it didn't really register because there wasn't any pain involved with it. You know, and I was still able to go around, you know, doing my daily stuff. I worked third shift, which is two to 10. And, you know, it's only 15 minutes from work. And then I'd get home, be asleep at midnight, up at 7.38. And I'd start my routine, you know, I'd do my stretches and, and roll out. And then I'd go run for a few hours uh, before work. And so other, you know, other than the bowel movements and the, maybe the craving for black, the you know, sudden craving for blackberry, and maybe that was something that I should have paid more attention to, you know, honestly, I, uh, I had went for, I felt so good and I was feeling so strong that I had, I'd kind of like ignored going in for the annual checkup for three years in a row. Mm -hmm. Like, why do I need to go get checked out? I'm doing great. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know if that would have made a difference or not. No, no hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? We can always we can sit here probably yeah. debate this till next year about annual checkups and stuff. I, I think the one thing yeah. though that's that's fascinating, Glenn, is like, you know, you said a couple things, and I I, I think as you, as we are living here, right. And listen, we've got this COVID pandemic that we're all living through. Right. And yeah. I think things happen and you just go through life. And if you're running and you feel good and training is plugging away, people don't think about these other things. Right. And that's, that's part of the awareness that I think we have to be more keen of. Right. I think cancer as specific, you know, if we look at specific cancers, you know, we, we talk about lumps and spots, right? Like, you know, lumps with breast cancer, lumps with testicular cancer, um, you know, where we can touch and feel things that don't feel right. Or, you know, if you have a lump underneath your skin, it, it could be, you know, a hematoma or something somewhere along the body, right? Is, is my point and not just 
picking on breast cancer and testicular cancer and then spots, you know, like naturally melanomas that just like you have something on your skin that just looks really funny that wasn't there yesterday, you know? So I think it's, it's kind of the obvious ones, right? Whereas I think, and this is where, you know, sometimes pancreatic cancer is called the silent killer because A, the symptoms are so vague and B, you can't touch or see any of it. Um, but yeah. you know, like bowel movements, you know, is something that, um, is just like, you know, really, really fascinating in the sense that it tells a lot about someone. And that's something that maybe, you know, folks listening to this episode, and I know we've talked about this on, on previous podcasts because there's been quite a few survivors that have talked about their bowel movements. Um, you know, one person in particular, as I mentioned, you know, he had, you know, really bad diarrhea for two weeks. Uh, another person mentioned, you know, the color change, um, you know, and we even talked about on that podcast about, you know, it'd be fascinating, you know, if, if the toilets that, you know, we, we all use had this function that would be able to diagnose disease based on your bowel movements, which yeah, sounds, sounds kind of far-fetched, but in theory, it would be really fascinating and really be game changer. Someone told me there's like a, there's like a, not a GoFundMe, a Kickstarter for a toilet seat design that does that, um, which would be really fascinating if that became a thing. I don't know how taboo that might be because people kind of get grossed out naturally when we talk about yeah. bowel <laughs> and stool and stuff and, and not to venture yeah. out on that platform right now. Um, but science do know, I mean, they, they do know a lot from our, our bowel movements because, you know, urine and, and stool tell a lot in terms of what's going on internally that we can't see, you know? So it, it, it's really a, a fascinating thing to, to talk about um, and to learn about, you know, but to more importantly, to raise awareness about, you know, and, and that's kind of the thing. And so I don't want to beat you up on this because I, I think, you know, as I said, like you're running, you're training, you feel good. And I think that's just human nature. Like if I know for me, like, when I'm training for my marathons, if I'm feeling good, like you said, you ignored your annual checkups. I, you know, I, I haven't quite honestly, haven't gone to my, see my doctor for my annual checkup in about three years as well, because I've been training over the last three years for these marathons. And I'm in the, the mode where I'm like, Hey, I feel good. I'm running good. I'm eating good. I'm drinking. I don't need to go to the doctor, but it is critical to go to the doctor. You know, so it's, it's, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. Cause maybe blood work would have caught it a little bit earlier. I mean, I, I consider myself extremely blessed uh, to still be here and, you know, to what do I have? I'm on. It's been my last uh, chemo dose was uh, August of 2018, you know, mm -hmm. so it was pretty much 24 months. And September 4th, Dr. Chen, you know, this is kind of this really quiet spoken guy. Uh, doesn't, you know, he's, he, the guys, you can tell his mind is always working. Um, but he just, you know, just like another day, come on back in. I'm like, okay, go back in and talk to the doctor, just like the routine. And he's, he's like, well, your liver function is really good. You know, your white counts are good. Da, 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 this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, okay. And he's like, just very nonchalant. He's like, okay, well, we're, we're going to stop chemo. And, you know, the first thought in my mind was like, oh, crud, now what? You know, why are we stopping chemo? It's keeping me alive. And he was like, well, um, 
there's no cancer in your body. And I'm like, what? Like maybe you could have like gave me some kind of a heads up or something like a month out <laughs> instead of just dropping the bomb. You know? Which is a good like, bomb to drop. Cancer. Yeah, it is. It was, but it was kind of a, sh- a little bit of a shock because when you're when you have it and you're, and you're in that pancreatic cancer mode, and that you know everybody was like, "You must have had a really good attitude." I'm like, "No, no, my attitude sucked a lot at some points." But um, you know, you get you get it in your head that, and you know, this is bad. That this is it for you. Uh, you know. You hear from other patients and stuff in, in different areas, and they're like, "Well, yeah, there's just no. You're not going to walk away from it. There's no cure." Uh, uh, but you know, Doctor Chen. He, I mean, I'd seen three other oncologists before I uh, met with Doctor Chen, and, and that was by recommendation of a close friend of mine, Randy Netherland, who had had esophageal, throat, stomach, and lung cancer, and they gave him two weeks eight years ago. Um, and, and Randy still has cancer, but he goes in once a month for his little tiny bag of microdose chemo. And it kind of turned his terminal condition into a chronic condition. So he's still doing his chemo once a month, but he's living his life. He's the county commissioner. He does, you know, he does everything. Hmm. Uh, and Andy, Randy is not athletic. Randy's, Randy's about 300 pounds. He's a big, hearty dude. So. But, uh, uh, yeah. And, so, uh, you know, it's like the same story from a lot of people. We did chemo in one big room together and there's 12 of us in there plus the nursing staff, which were completely awesome. I mean, so you turn into your family and you're sharing information on nutrition. You're talking to the other patients, you're writing stuff down. And so you're getting an education while you're doing your chemo, you know, while you're doing your five hours, the chemo there and then I would be on a 24 hour pump and we'd finish off the next day with vitamin C infusion. So and, I wanna, uh, Glenn, I want to back up here though. Yeah. So in August you get diagnosed the 16, you mentioned yeah. you, you meet Dr. Chen, but I know from reading what you sent us, you did have the Whipple. You had a bunch of, a ton of other procedures. You had 64 yeah. rounds. Yeah. So how did you go from that diagnosis in August of 16 to finding Dr. Chen? Because you did mention there were two other doctors before that, before you found him, or maybe three before you found him. And how did you get on that journey? Well, um, I met Dr. Chen. I finally, you know, everybody kept, you know, it wasn't just Randy Netherland. There was another lady that seen him that said, Hey, you need to go see this guy. You know, I was living on the Olympic peninsula uh, near hood sport. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll need, you know, I'm going to be doing this. Um, so I was looking in the Olympia area, the first two oncologists I saw down there, one of them was like looking right at me and, and I'm bald telling me that there was going to be hair loss. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but there's no hair there. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the day before my Whipple, uh, you know, I finally get in to see Dr. Chen. He looks at me and he's, he went through the, uh, all the lab work and stuff. I, I just said, I wanted to know the odds. You know, I'm the guy that was like, okay, I need to know what the percentage is, what I need to do to increase that. 
and um he was the only one that you know didn't like be like you know the first two were like yeah you know if we're lucky we can get you a couple months maybe two years and i was just like man it's not i've got small kids that's not really enough time and um so i met with him the day before my surgery and he never put a time limit he never you know i was like what are my odds you know can i can this is anybody ever beat this and he never told me he didn't tell me that even though he had other patients in similar circumstances that walked away healthy and um yeah, he just kind of looked at me and was like, it's a really aggressive cancer. <laughs> and that was his answer. I was like, okay, great. So the next day I had my Whipple up in Virginia Mason. Uh, it was Dr. Alsady, good surgeon. Uh, but there were some complications, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which led to a whole other procedures and some more surgeries. So there was like a 14, uh, I think the centimeter lesion on my pancreas. So there was a lesion on my pancreas. So I was in the hospital for a week. Wasn't feeling happy at all. Uh, got sent home after that week. And I thought to myself, man, I just don't feel like I should be at home. Uh, so I ended up at my mom's for about a week. And then when I went back in, uh, to, uh, to do the follow-up with the surgeon, they kind of passed out on the table and they're, you know, they uh, took me down, did a, did a, a CAT scan and like, oh yeah, we got a little bit of bleed in here. And so we ended up doing this weekly thing of going in, you know, the surgery, getting anesthetized, having the tube pulled, getting a new drain pulled, pushed in, you know, over and over and over and over again. And the whole time we were doing these surgeries that went on for about three months or so, uh, we couldn't do chemo. So my thought was like, well, crud, we're not doing chemo. What's this cancer doing inside my body right now? So, um, yeah, that was, that was, that was, I think that physically that was the, the toughest time was like that first four or five months, uh, after the surgery, I, I, I was like 168 pounds. I was pretty lean, uh, very little body fat, and I dropped to 112, mm. like almost overnight. And I did not, I mean, I did not look good. I sent you, I think, one picture yeah. uh, where I was out on a hike with a friend of mine in the middle of my treatment. And I looked pretty thin and frail. <laughs> it was like, Nobody thought I was going to make it. You know, all my friends were like being all nice and cheerful on the outside. But afterwards, they were like, yeah, we thought you were definitely going to die. Um, which I was like, well, thanks for telling me that. after. after <laughs> <me."> <laughs> you know, that was but uh, there was like a turning point for me. I had like no appetite. I was eating very little. I felt like I was dying. And uh, I'm, I was law enforcement. And so... I wasn't using THC product at all. You know, and everybody's like, well, yeah, it'll help reduce your appetite, this, that, and the other thing. And it's legal in Washington state, which is true. But if you're in law enforcement, you're under federal mandate. And I got to that point where it was like, okay, if I'm dead, I have no career. <laughs> and if they find out, 
I have no career. So I was like, well, either way, it's not going to matter. Matter, yeah. And so uh, a friend brought some edibles over, and uh, I had these edibles, and it was on a Wednesday. Uh, and Wednesday nights, my buddy Randy, who was my running partner, that guy's in the 70s, and he's an amazing shape. He um, he was like, uh, he called me up and said, hey, you want to go to the church dinner? And I was like, sure, pick me up. And I went up there and it was spaghetti, you know, so I put the usual amount that I'm normally eating on my plate, a little bit of garlic bread. And um, I was like, dang, I'm still, I'm still hungry. That's weird. And so I ended up having like two huge plates of spaghetti after going for so long without eating hardly anything. It was just, I was ravenous. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be sick as a dog tomorrow. This is going to kill me. And that didn't happen. And it was kind of like all of a sudden, you know, using THC product and having an appetite and sleeping at night, you know, my weight started to slowly come back, come back, come back, you know. And then I was working with Dr. Geniak, who is a naturopath there, and he's like, this is what we're going to do to your diet. These are the supplements you're going to be on. And, you know, my belief is, is like my cure or in my journey I want to say it was like 90% naturopathic. It was changing my diet, having the right supplements, high pH water. Uh, I, I read this article on, uh, and this kind of relates to what you were saying about bowel movements, mm-hmm. uh, on gut health, you know, and it, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was explained to me, yeah, your gut is the motherboard of your entire body. All the chemistry takes place in your gut. And, you know, so I was like, okay, well, let's change, you know, let's change that up. Let's make that better. Let's, let's work on the immune system. You know, so I was reading articles on how to boost your immune system. And, and you know, we get all these guys out there now uh, doing immunotherapy, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't do any immunotherapy. I, I did regular chemo. Uh, you know, full fox, uh, label, lukewarm, oxyplatin, 5-FU, and vitamin C infusion. But Dr. Chan does low dose. He, it, you know, everybody that I knew that had it, they were like getting all this chemo and their white count went ka- kaplots. Uh, my white count never dropped below acceptable levels. My white, they kept my white count up. They gave me chemo and, you know, and I'd seen all these other people go through chemo that suffered so much. And I would be like tired for a couple days and I'll feel run down. And I wasn't feeling you know, like my superhuman self by no means. I, I felt it. I felt it. But come the weekend, uh, either Randy or Steve, one of my other friends, you know, I'd be like, I'd call him up and say, hey, can you go with me on a walk? Can we can we do a small hike this weekend? And it wasn't like that all the time. You know, it was like the first five or six months and I wasn't doing anything. I was just in pain. I was you know, dealing with the whole Whipple surgery and then the aftermath of all that. And so at that point I didn't feel like doing anything, but once I started eating and gaining a little bit of weight, uh, you know, I started, I was like, well, you know, if I'm not going to be around, I want to enjoy, uh, my life. I love being outside. I had this whole hospice care thing figured out 
to where my hospice wasn't going to be like in a care center or in a hospital. I wanted it to be outside. I was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die outside. It's powerful. Uh, Glenn, I, I got a couple questions here for you that came up and I've been taking notes this whole time. The vitamin C has come up a couple times. So has the naturopath. So, and, and we've always said on this podcast, uh, you know, this is not, uh, we're not medical doctors. We're here to help tell oh. stories. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, everything is put out out there uh, for people to do their own research. We're not advocating. Uh, we're not debating. We're not saying that's not the, the thing to do. Um, again, it, th- this is, you know, to re- help raise awareness. Um, we hope people, you know, do look into certain things that potentially can be game changers. And I've heard both of those, you know, in, in a couple of our podcasts from various survivors that we've talked to. Um, the low dose uh, chemotherapy regimen regimen is very fascinating to me because that's another thing that I've heard. You know, there's a guy out on the West Coast, uh, Dr. Isaacoff, William Isaacoff, out in LA, and about two years ago. So right around the same time, he had the largest, well, 2018, he had the largest population of stage four pancreatic cancer patients alive in the country, if not the world. And his claim to fame was this low dose chemotherapy regimen that he had. And then the vitamin C infusions, like heavy dose of vitamin C, like, you know, I'm sure yeah. similar to what you were describing. So, you know, these are things that I think, you know, traditional oncologist hasn't necessarily, um, I don't think embraced the vitamin C thing I've seen recently. You know, there have been some studies on the vitamin C as a, as a supplement to current chemotherapy regimens and how that's worked. You know, the low dose um, thing, I know I've, I've, there's been people on our podcast that have had similar routines. And, you know, as I always say, you know, it, again, it's not our job to judge. We're not medical doctors, but to put this information out there. And I think these are healthy questions that patients and their family should have with their doctors because it's something to think about. Um, everyone is different um, in how they react and how they deal with this cancer. And I think you've got to kind of put all the cards on the table and see what's best for you. I, I do have a question. D- did at any point in time, any oncologist, any of the clinicians, did anyone ever do genetic testing with you? Uh, yeah, I think that they did. You know, some of the stuff that kind of got a little vague and hazy during that like five or six month period when I started out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember them testing for mutation and then that came back. Where there was no, that everything was fine there. Okay. So, yeah. Cause you mentioned a drug that is typically used with uh, a germline mutation, the cisplatinum, the platinum based drugs are, are usually, but you know, a lot has changed. It's, it's fascinating. You know, we're having this conversation. You went from 16 to 18 and, and a lot has changed now, you know, in 2019, there's a requirement that everyone gets genetic testing, um, you know, where it wasn't, you know, unless you went to like a major center or, or you went to someone who, who understood it, um, you know, they weren't doing germline testing. Now it's required that everyone does it. And there is a, an, a protocol that works for like BRCA patients that have, that mutation that does very well, which is uh, a combination of the platinum 
drugs along with their current treatment. So it's fascinating that even back in 16, you know, that that was done. So that was in, you were in good hands, I'll say, um, you know, with regards to that. Yeah. I encourage, you know, uh, people in this area. And I mean, I've had people contact me from Australia, New Zealand, the Netherlands. I'm like, wow. You know, cause I was on the, well, I'm still at the, um, uh, pancreatic support group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get, I hear the story from a guy's like, I'm 40 years old I'm stage four, blah, blah, blah. I got to do a Whipple, you know, and my doctor says that, you know, this will kill me. And I'm like going, or, you know, that's what they're saying. I'm like, I don't know, dude. I mean, I don't like absolutes and I really don't like absolutes, uh, when it comes to, to like medical science, which is still evolving. I mean, we haven't cured cancer yet. We haven't cured the common cold yet, which is, you know, a COVID type of illness. Yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, but I don't like hearing uh, people say that, well, that's impossible. That there's no way, you know, there was one patient in there, uh, Dr. Chan's office that upset me one day. Uh, and she also had pancreatic cancer. She's like, no, this is going to kill us. There's no chance. Da, 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 da. You know, and it got me upset. And finally I was like, look. I was like, things happen, you know, there's miracles, you know, uh, you know, there's, I heard that there's survivors when they say, you know, you hear like one to 3%, you know, it, that doesn't give you a lot of hope, but it still means that one to 3% survived. So what, what did they do? What, what was their, you know, uh, regimen? How did they manage to do that? And when I started this thing, honestly, I had, you know, I knew I was toast. You know, I had everything planned out, uh, got my life insurance all updated. And so it was like, okay, here we go into the story, but it didn't end up that way. You know, and I'm really grateful for that. And, um, so I don't like hearing, you know, absolutes when it comes to a, a fight for your life against cancer. It's, it upsets me when people are like, yeah, there's no hope. Uh, not. You know, in the situation that you're in right now and talking to the people that you're talking to right now, but almost all of Dr. Chen's patients were those people that they were told, yeah, there's no hope. They all have the same story. They were at the big cancer center. They did this, that, and the other thing. And then one of the nurses mentioned Dr. Chen to them, and they ended up in Dr. Chen's office, and they're surviving years and years later. I'm not saying he doesn't lose patients. He does. But at a far uh, less rate, than any other oncologist that I've known of, you know, I mean, he's got, uh, there was one gentleman in there in his eighties that I was sitting next to. And, and I thought I had went through a lot of chemo. He'd been through like 130 doses of chemotherapy. And I'm like, I was like, how long have you been doing this? And he was like, years. I was like, what? Hmm. This guy's been surviving with pancreatic cancer for 20 years. And he had a lot of chemo and stuff up in front, but then he was down to a once a month maintenance chemo, which he's been doing and staying alive and active and doing his life for 20 years. That's unheard of. And I, I had no idea that it was even possible. Um, but you do what you have to do to stay alive though, right? Like stay in the game. You do, you do. And it's, it's, you know, people are like, well, you had to have a good attitude. And I was like, well, there were times my attitude was just like, let me go to sleep, not wake up. I'm good with that. You know, um, 
But you, you say that, hey, Glenn, but you say that, but then, and I, and I wanted to ask this question. I have this, like your mindset though, there was that shift and you did said the turning point was like the THC to help you like eat. Yeah. But yeah. what was the mindset shift? What did, what happened there? Like, how did that happen? Because I've always said, and I've said this many times on the podcast, like if you are mentally strong and you have this ability to just either check out or, you know what, check up. I, I, I don't know what, what, how you would define it, but if you're mentally strong where, you know, you're like, Hey, this is nothing. We're going to get through this. I got this, that kind of attitude. And whether that's a, a checkout or a check-in or whatever, whatever analogy you want to use or, or saying, how did that happen for you? And when did that happen? Cause you said the THC was for your physical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, here's something that's, and this is kind of a disturbing little story because the pancreatic cancer fight, it wasn't my big fight at that time period. You would think that there could be nothing. Uh, I'm going to try not get emotional. <clears throat> no, you would think there wouldn't be a bigger fight, right? Cause you're, you know, basically it's like your body saying, Hey, Game over, buddy. Time to... But in the middle of this fight, uh, you know, and it's kind of ironic because I was a peace officer. Uh, my ex-wife would, had remarried uh, to another guy that was a convict. And her had decided that uh, in the middle of her custody, uh, this custody battle still going, of uh, an eight-year-long custody battle, we're going to flee the state. Uh, and hide. And they did that successfully in South Carolina for a year. Hmm. And I told myself that there, you know, I just, I, uh, I kind of prayed over it a lot and I, I made a deal with God. And I was like, look, let me be there. Let me be alive long enough to see my kids again. You know, just so that we can talk and that I can tell them how much I care about them before it's too late and so at the same time i'm fighting cancer i'm networking with uh, different cops throughout the country trying to find my kids hmm. and on facebook and i'm on this desperate search to find my missing kids and uh so they were just here this weekend uh my son fred is 10 which is you know i'm 58 i got a 10 year old I've got a, uh, my other son, Henry's 13, my daughter, 16, Sky, uh, my other son, Qu uh, Quincy's 20, and then uh, Will and Josh are 38 and 40. So um, I lost my first wife to cancer, uh, breast cancer. Hmm. But um, I wanted to see those kids more than anything. You know, they're, they're my children. I wanted them to know that, you know, that, hey, your dad loves you just a whole bunch and for that whole year that I was dealing with the cancer I was on this search to find them and we found them and the court gave me temporary custody to bring them back uh, I went to uh, Nashville and I had a friend of mine we drove to South Carolina uh, they'd made the mistake of posting on Facebook you know they were working out in the gym and there's a big banner on a wall that said uh, Seneca, South Carolina. Went, wow, hey, guess what? We got a clue. 
And so I made contact with the sheriff there, uh, showed up with my uh, court documents, and we uh, picked the kids and left. And the mother was a little bit upset. She threatened the sheriff's office, and they were like, come on down. We got a warrant for your arrest. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, you know, seeing my kids again after a year, and they were they were kind of shocked because they had been told that um, I had already passed. So oh. it was, yeah, we had uh, a social worker there, Captain Reed, uh, with the Oconee County Sheriff's, and a bunch of other hardened deputies, and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. But that was, uh, you know, that was for me seeing my kids again, huge mental shift, huge. It was just like, okay. So I was battling, I had a war going on two fronts. I had pancreatic cancer and then, you know, trying to get my kids back and seeing them again and finding them. So that was, that was a big motivation. And, you know, once I'd been in this battle for a while and, my weight started coming back and I started feeling more normal, more like me. I mean, I was still doing chemo and, and I was tired at the beginning of the week, you know, but it seemed like that recovery time from chemo was getting shorter. Uh, I started living more instead of being focused so much on, uh, you know, the cancer fight and, thinking that I was going to die eventually from this, you know, and I was just hanging on uh, mentally. That was a huge shift for me. That was a, uh, it was a huge struggle to get through that whole period without the kids for me, you know, without my children there. So that you have to, I don't know, some of it, I'm, I, I got a fee, an amazing fiance and she was like, you are like the most stubborn guy on the face of the planet. <laughs> and I'm like, that's probably true. You know, I mean, <laughs> my first job was in the Marine Corps. You know, uh, my mom's a German immigrant. Uh, my dad was in the service uh, when they met. You know, so I have that kind of a little bit of a German upbringing. You know, on her side, he was way more mellow than my mom. And it was also about focus. You know, focus on your schoolwork. You know, be disciplined. And, and that Marine Corps just reinforce that and then like every job i've had i've worked in ems and in law enforcement and i've been a volunteer firefighter you always have to problem solve on the run you know so you're just like okay got this problem done got to focus on this thing then i got to focus on that it was like a whole bunch of little steps that got me to where i was at and you know i was i was kind of shocked when he told me we weren't doing chemo anymore and that there wasn't any cancer in my body i was just like and it took a while. It's still to this day, you know, it, it doesn't always sink in all the way. You know, and you'll just be sitting there doing something and, and you'll realize that you're enjoying the day. You're on a run. You're on the beach. And for a period of time, you know, you're not thinking about cancer. You're thinking about all the good stuff. So, and you're enjoying it more. But. I used to be a really closed off guy just because of my work. Now you have to always control your emotions. So cancer took 
some of my strength away for a while, but it also took away uh, those barriers, you know, that that would let you like fully emotionally be involved with the people around you because you always have to hold it in. You see things at work that are horrific. Uh, I work in EMS and in law enforcement, and you don't share that with your family. You don't because some of it is just so bad. Uh, but, you know, you develop a shell. And that was the gift, I think. I think the gift that cancer gave me was that it, um, it kind of broke the shell. And because there's, there, you know, let's face it, there's a huge emotional aspect to surviving cancer. Huge. And your emotions affect your body. And your mindset. And your mindset, yeah, yeah, it's 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 powerful stuff there, Glenn. And I mean, I, I first of all, I appreciate you being so honest and open. And you know, I, I think in in some ways, you know, just again taking notes here and seeing this arc that you've been on, you know, that fight. I, I mean, I've seen this in in other scenarios, not similarities in someone fighting for their custody of their kids and having to go across country to get them, but battles that they go through embattling pancreatic cancer at the same time and how those battles transform them. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating because like, if you're not focusing on the problem, you know, the problem tends to go away. If that makes any sense, not that, you know, cancer was just going to go away by itself, but you know, your focus no. was on your family and, and your, and your kids and being together with them. Um, you know, and that was your priority. Yeah, you had this cancer thing, but I, I really need to get my kids and find my kids and that focus, um, you know, which is a healthy thing, uh, you know, to, to be with family and to have your kids there. Um, you know, so it's, it, it's fascinating that parallel and that arc that you went on this journey during that time, which is, is really, really powerful. So thank you for sharing that with us and our audience. I've got another question for you. And you mentioned your friends and this comes up a lot. And the question is during this time that you were battling, what were some of the best things that your friends did for you? Uh, well, there was like, um, uh... I'm on, you know, I went on social security disability during that battle because uh, I had like five or six months of vacation leave saved up, which is a good amount mm -hmm. uh, until you get pancreatic cancer. <laughs> because yeah. you, then you're just not going to work. You're just on leave. And like I had friends at work. I had so many friends at work uh, at the institution I was working at and other officers in the community. That uh, the way Social Security disability workers like they said, okay, well, then all your vacation time is gone and you've got zero income coming in, then from that time, five months later, you'll start getting getting some benefits. I was like, <laughs> like that's a big gap, five months, but yeah. nothing. And they rallied. They did a running shoe donation thing, you know, on the streets. Uh, people uh, donated vacation. Uh, holiday time uh, that which kept my health insurance and everything going. 
uh, Project Purple helped out with bills. You know, you guys mm-hmm. were a huge help. Uh, I was really st- struggling at that time. Uh, the American Cancer Society came forward. Uh, and, and, and it was, and that was something, that's something I share with people. I talk to these, uh, cancer patients now and they're like, well, we just, we're struggling with this and that and the doctor, and this is all we got for insurance. I was like, have you called the American Cancer Society and Project Purple? Like, if you're in trouble, you need to contact them because they can help, you know? And I'm kind of shocked that a lot of these, uh, pancreatic cancer patients haven't heard of Project Purple. <laughs> I'm just like, are you serious? Your doctor hasn't mentioned these guys. You know, you're coming in there that, you know, they know that they're struggling financially because they're, you know, dealing with whatever. Uh, Dr. Chen's office is really good about saying, oh, yeah, we can contact the American Cancer Society. You can contact Project Purple. Uh, not for me, but I know other people that live further out. They've got Angel Flight. Because uh, yeah. I hear a lot of people like, that's like, that's like, in, I'm in Idaho and that's in Oregon. I was like, look, you can get free flights. Mm-hmm. private pilots man they're they were they will take you to chemo you know once a week or whatever you got to do and bring you home don't you know don't not try to go to where the good care is or where the doctors that you want to see because of these obstacles because there's people out there like you and these other um, charities that will help people you know get through that process plenty of resources to get you you know to where you need yeah, to be there is. Yeah, and, there's but a lot there's out there. not i don't I don't know if there's, you know, maybe it's Dr. Chen's office is different. Uh, but, you know, when I talk to these other patients and they're not getting this information, I'm like, that's, it's got to be put out there. I, I've gotten to the point and I started doing this, you know, like after September of 2018 that, you know, if I see somebody in a business or out on the street and this was before COVID and everybody was wearing masks. <laughs> And I see the mask, you know, and or the hairdress, uh, the the headband over their head, and you know, I would I would approach somebody and say, "Hey, I'm sorry, but can I ask you a personal question?" And it would be like, um, "Sure." I was like, "Do you have cancer?" Because sometimes it's you know an immune system thing or something, and a lot of times they would say yes. And I was like, "I'd be like, are you happy with your oncologist? How things are going? You know." Um, how's your fight? And then I would say, well, here's what happened to me. I was like, I was at this point here two years ago and now I'm not now I'm cancer free and I'm walking around and I'm starting to live my life fully. And a lot of them were like shocked and amazed. And so I'd I'd always share that information because I really love Dr. Chen and his whole family and nurses there. I just wanted other people to have that. Um, opportunity to you know really be able to get someplace that i believe was great and i just wanted them to, to uh, get through it you know, to, to survive and then thrive after a year ago uh you know even after i've been cured i would i told myself it's like well i'll try to get through uh my the rest of my career i went back for a while but it wasn't conducive you know work a 16-hour shift uh, I had like a hernia mesh repair from the original Whipple in May of mm-hmm. last year. And they're like, don't lift more than 24 pounds. I was like, okay. So I went back to work. Four days, yeah. I went back to work four days later 
and uh, had a huge use of force and I got kicked in the stomach, which was uh. a bit problematic, right? And so the doctor was like, we told you not to lift more than 24 pounds. I was like, well, I wasn't really lifting them. I was taking them to the ground and put them in restraints. And they didn't like that answer. So uh, they were like, you know, we looked at other options for me. They were like, hey, well, we can put you down in Longview and you can work with the U.S. Marshals and you can do warrants. And, you know, there's no overtime. Well, the first week I was there, I had 32 hours of overtime. And I was like, yeah, this isn't. Yeah. So I did that for a few months. And, you know, Dr. Chen was like, look, you you need to get away from that stress and that environment uh, unless you want to relapse. And I was like, yeah, I did this before. So, you know, I retired a year early. You know, I was just like, they didn't want to work with me as far as just keeping me on my eight hour day, which I think I could have gone through just fine. But, and it, and it, it, it was uh, a bit more, you know, the, the whole thought was like, Hey, if we take you out of the prison system, put you on the street, you'll have less offenders to fight and stuff. But now it was more fluid, you know, going into houses, you know, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a bit more combative than what they had led me to believe. And, and then I loved my job. Uh, and it gave me a lot of satisfaction, but I also love being alive and, and being a dad. Uh, and a grandparent. And so I was like, yeah, you know, it was the season and the season's over. And now we got to go into the next one. But when I retired, I didn't think to myself that I was going to be doing like super long runs anymore. I didn't, I wasn't, now I just wanted to be healthy and then live my life. But, um, I don't know. Uh, I just started exercising. I went to the gym. Uh, I was having some issues with my shoulders. Because they've been injured a whole bunch uh, in my law enforcement career. Never had any surgery, but chemo likes to hang around scar tissue, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that was causing some discomfort. But I worked that all out, and I started exercising more. And I started getting a little bit muscled out. And I was like, hmm, I kind of enjoy this. And then I, I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll work on some leg strength stuff. And maybe I can do some shorter races. And it just keeps growing <laughs> kind of like a little bit of the snowball effect where I did a half a marathon uh, running on the grass on the inside of the track at the high school. <laughs> and I was like, that's, you know, which is 13 miles. And at that point I was like, you know, maybe I can do a 50 K, you know, maybe I can get back to that. And so that's my goal. Now uh, the TRD race in Chamonix is an 80k race uh, and you only have to do like one pre-qualifying 50k to get into it so that's so you're back that's kind of my goal now yeah so, I'm back I'm so going, two years two I had years that dream five years ago and I thought that dream was dead and now I'm breathing life back into the thing going wow this is interesting so almost two years to your last chemo so August 2018 was your last chemo you're back yeah running half marathon and ramping up and hopefully getting back to that ultimate goal where you had five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got, you know, here on the coast, we've got the coastal mountain range. Yeah. So we've got some really great trails here. Neocani mountain. Uh, that's nine miles round trip, but it is brutally steep. Uh, Tillamook head. Uh, it's seven miles to, uh, 
uh, Cannon Beach and then seven miles back. I kind of run hike that. And that's pretty steep and rugged. Uh, you know, and then I do a little bit of running on the beach and, and some of the other trails in the area. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm running four days a week because I want to incorporate more strength training. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I had a fairly long 41, 42-year-old long uh, running career. I, I ran my first marathon, literally. My first marathon started two blocks from where I live right now. That was 1977. Wow. So, yeah, I was sitting in Dundee's uh, talking to a friend. I looked out the door and said, you know what? I ran my first marathon here <laughs> when I was a kid, you know. So Oregon's kind of a runner's state. Yeah. Or what back in the 70s and 80s. And I'm right back and right where I did my first marathon. And so it's kind of funny how it's things can come full circle. Full circle. You started. Yeah. It's crazy. I got two questions for you left here, Glenn. And then I want to give you the opportunity to share where our listeners can connect with you. You mentioned you stopped chemo. Last chemo was August, 2018. I assume you're still getting scans every couple months. Yeah. uh, uh, Every three, every four months we're doing scans now. So uh, and blood work. So how do you handle that? Because I know that's something that you know we've had survivors here on the podcast. I think the term is called scan, scanxiety, um, is I think what it's been referred to. And I know sometimes that can be very stressful. But you know, given your outlook and your mindset, like what do you do to kind of handle that those times? Because there's a possibility that uh, things could be different. They have a recurrence. Yeah. Or yeah. Do you ever yeah, think I mean, about that or how does that, you know, going oh, yeah. into those I mean, scans, like, you know, you don't, you don't walk away from pancreatic cancer without a little bit of paranoia no. <laughs> because you hear about recurrence rates and all that, but it's like, there's none of that's going on. We're what, 22 months or something into this. Actually, August is, you know, not that far away. So that'll be solid two years. Uh, but like, uh, I'm doing my blood work uh, and like the scans locally, you know, and then if, if anything ever did crop up, I would definitely, I'm running back up to see, you know, moving back to the, uh, Washington and, and going to be seeing Dr. Chen. Uh, I have Dr. Zhao here and I'm not trying to say that Chinese doctors are, are better than like your average doctor, but it seems like, I don't know, I'm getting better results. Um but he was, you know, he goes through my stuff and he was, and he was like, yeah, I don't think you're going to have a reoccurrence. And he's like, I think you did a really good job. Hmm. And, you know, he, something that he, that he taught, you know, told me that it was stuck with me was that, Hey, you know, uh, chemo and all this stuff doesn't kill cancer. Uh, your immune system does your immune system has to, has to, you know, chemo and vitamin C infusion weaken the cancer and break it up. But your immune system has to get up over the top of it. To defeat it and so i focus on my immune system i focus i eat a pretty simple diet uh you know like chicken uh, fish eggs and then vegetables you know and i cheat every once in a while i mean because you can't just walk by the costco cheesecake every time you know because that stuff's good but uh i keep a, a a pretty clean diet um i'm on no medication I mean, actually, no, I have one prescription for uh, vitamin D3, 50,000 units. Hmm. 
That's my prescription. Wow. Uh, I use papaya enzyme instead of Creon, which I always did. I had Creon for a little while, but I, uh, I like the papaya enzyme better. Hmm. Um, and I just focus on being healthy. You know, my, my whole, even my whole, uh, running, uh, regime right now is more holistic. Cause like, you know, you don't want to get into running and then have to deal with those, uh, injuries. And if you're a, a real runner, you're going to have, you know, the Achilles tendonitis, tight IT band, hip flexors, you're going to have issues, uh, from putting that kind of mileage on your body. But I'm, I'm a bit more focused on the strength uh, and uh, injury prevention uh, more than just the running. You know, I'm trying to take a more holistic approach to it. And then that, you know, that's part of that holistic approach is mentally too. I, I live on the beach. I've got a, a French bulldog named Herbie. <laughs> uh, we walk an hour twice a day with the dog. And then, you know, I, I'll do a run uh, four days a week and I'm in the gym every day. And so I'm not just like looking at, you know, my scans and things that are coming up. I don't, I don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm pretty confident. Uh, and I mean, I know that there's a possibility of something going sideways because, you know, it already happened. Uh, and every day is a blessing and don't take it for granted, but the scans don't bother me. Uh, I'm just like, you know, we did blood work a little while back. It came all came back good. Uh, we did a head scan. It all came back good. I don't think I got another scan until August. If I remember right. But uh, they remind me of that, you know. And and if, when there's any kind of issue, uh, I you know, like I said, you have that little bit of paranoia, you know. You, now you're looking at your bowel movements a little more closely. You're going, yeah, that looks good. And, or, you know, hmm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that one. Then you try to remember what you had for dinner, you know, the day before, the day before that. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get like little pains and stuff in your abs. And you're like, wow, is that, is that gas or is that, something you know, is that something it, more yeah. sinister? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it hasn't been. And, and my energy levels are way up. Uh, I, I still use THC, uh, at night, uh, right before bedtime. I'm like getting like eight hours of sleep, uh, when I do that, uh, sometimes I'll run in the evenings and then, you know, I'll take the THC in the point. Uh, I don't use it during a day ever. It's not, you know, recreation it just helps me with a little bit of the pain, aches and pains from the day and, uh, sleeplessness and, uh, but, you know, other than that, I've got a little bit of uh, neuropathy in my fingers, uh, which is annoying when you're on a fly fishing stream like in eastern Oregon trying to put on a size 22 trico. <laughs> and it's getting dark. You know? And in my feet, which is good and bad, it's like, are your feet sore? No, I can't really feel can't them. can't feel them, yeah. 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 But uh, other than that, it's like almost like it never happened. It's It's kind of weird. I'm just, you know, I think back to what I went through. And how I feel now, and I'm just like, well, this is really not what I expected. But I'm like so grateful it went that way. And and I know it's not possible uh, to change all that for everybody. But I want everybody to have the opportunity that I had to like live a full life, you know, to get your health back. 
And so when these people call me, like, I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I did. Uh, this is the naturopathic side of it that I did. These are the supplements I took. This is how I ate. Uh, these are the two books that I read. One was The PH Miracle. And then Dr. Chen now has his book, which is Rx for Hope. Um, and I, I just focus on that. I focus on just being well all the time. Instead of you know worrying about the cancer, I'm more concerned with just being as healthy as I can humanly possibly be. And you know, there's guys, and you're a runner. I'm not. I don't even know how old you are, but um, you know, half our age that you know, and there's the guys in their 20s. And I'm like, going, dude, you really need a little bit of exercise and you know, maybe take care of your health a little bit better because if you don't. This can happen, and you're not going to like it. Trust me. Absolutely. So I, uh, yeah, I kind of like. I'm like, I'm trying to make myself the warning buoy. You know, ding, ding. Hey, you're entering a danger zone. Yeah. You got to go the other direction. Yeah, it's. I, I think yeah. sometimes I there's a saying I say it's easier to do, but easier not to, right? And so, and I think what you just said was really powerful in the sense that, you know, you're taking this proactive approach. Like, hey, you you've the light went off had this happen to you, you made some dramatic changes in your lifestyle, your mindset, but moving forward, you know, you've done everything you can and, and that there's no guarantee to that, but the odds are stacked in your favor that you're doing all the yeah. things that you are doing. And if we looked around the country or look around the world, I mean, health is such a, it's a pandemic, you know, we're in a pandemic as we speak, but you know, I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs of COVID because I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, I'm not professing to be an expert. But what I do know is by looking at the data, people with comorbidities like diabetes and other health issues are really at a much significantly higher risk of getting really, really sick because of that. Now, some of these can yeah. be controlled. I mean, diabetes, you know, people... Um, you know, who are, you know, overweight and, you know, get diabetes, type two diabetics, I believe, because of the, the, the weight problems and the, the lack of working out, that can be changed um, just by diet and exercise, you know, and, and other issues, um, you know, health issues that, you know, high blood pressure, you know, I know from reading some of the scientific journals recently, like people with high blood pressure have a lot to worry about because COVID's not COVID doesn't like, uh, COVID likes high blood pressure, uh, people who take meds. And that's something that can be changed with diet and exercise for not, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize or call people out. I mean, some people, you know, are born this way. They have a genetic disposition to high blood pressure, but there's things that you can do in your life to make you healthier. You can run, yeah. you can work out. I you can believe diet. that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, it's easier to do and easier not to, um, as I, I always say. Um, but really appreciate that powerful message, Glenn, because I, I think that's really powerful what you just said in terms of how you deal with the scans and, and just having that approach to what you're going through. I've got one last question for you. And this is uh, always our last question with our survivors. And it's a bit of a loaded question. And there's no right or wrong, but it's how you answer this question and your definition of pancreatic cancer. So how do you define 
pancreatic cancer. What does that word mean to you? Wow, that's a that's a tough question. I don't know if I really, you know, gave much thought to ever what does pancreatic cancer mean to me. Um, you know, at first, uh, for me, yeah, my first exper- you know experience with it, my first thought was like, well, this is the end of my story. You know, this isn't the way that I wanted to, my life to end. You know, this is not not who I am. I'm, you know, I've always been athletic and healthy, and, and I can't believe, you know, that the guy that was running the wellness committee at work trying to tell everybody else to be healthy was in the process of dying. But the whole experience, I mean, physically, you know, I, I was, I, I had to educate myself more on nutrition uh, than I did like with running, you know, with running, it's like, yeah, eat complex carbs and have a good diet and hydrate and then everybody goes drinking beer and stuff, which I never did. But um, pancreatic cancer to me is, is uh, it's the dragon. You know, it's a beast that comes out of nowhere. It breathes fire. It's huge. It's, it's massive and it's on and it's hungry. And you can't be like the deer caught in the headlights uh, when it comes into your life. You know, I, I got people that, I talk to sometimes and they're just going to, they're waiting and waiting and waiting to hear back, but they're not taking any action on their own at that time. I'm like, you know, you may have to wait for the doctor to get back and then they come up with a plan. It just could be weeks or a couple months in the, in, you know, in the planning, but that dragon's breathing on you right now. And you need to take your own personal steps uh, to try to change that course uh, and, you know, go in a different direction. It's, it's out there and like every cancer out there. It's, I remember growing up uh, as a kid and I, I, I don't remember hearing about all these cancer cases when I was growing up. And so it seems like now it's, you know, almost at, you know, well, it is, it's an epidemic proportions. I know more people with cancer than I've ever heard of with COVID. So, you know, it, it's a beast. Um, you have to fight it. You know, if, if you're at an age where, you know, especially you have a lot of life ahead of you, it's, um, you know, and it taught me a lot, not just about, uh, you know, nutrition and, and uh, you know, tr- building a strong immune system, but it, it taught me a lot about what my priorities in life are going to be. You know, I... I was a guy that was like really focused on my kids and work, you know, and, and running was something that I enjoyed incredibly. That was my release from stress that was taken away when I got sick. And so I had to find a new way to live my life uh, and deal with the stresses and everything without the running. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I hate cancer. You know, it's, I hate seeing people suffer from it particularly children. If I see a kid with cancer, the waterworks come on. And I think it needs to be eradicated. I think we can do that. I think that the technology is out there. I think we need to free that up so that, you know, uh, states need to have their own rights as far as how they treat their cancer patients and, and patients need more flexibility and what's available to them to help them. But it's, it's the enemy. 
and it's the dragon and it needs to be destroyed. And, you know, I'm just one guy, but I can keep putting a message out there that, hey, it's not necessarily the end of the road. You know, you know, get involved in the fight. Be the most active participant in your survival. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard emotionally and mentally to, to do that when you have that diagnosis. But, you know, I just I just kind of wish we could eliminate it. Uh, and I'm, I think that someday we'll get there. You know, who know, you know, we don't know five years, 10 years down the road from now, pancreatic cancer could have the same survival rate as, you know, all kinds of different other cancers. So it's yeah, pancreatic cancer was the beast. And um, it, it taught me a lot, not just about like everything I was telling you about, but about, about myself and what my priorities are. And it made me a lot more emotional of a person and a lot more sharing. And we, we more, uh, have got way more empathy now for people that have cancer. So it's just, I want to help them out. I want to put the word out there. Um, it's kind of like I'm retired now. So that's like my new mission. Get the word out that it's not the end of the world and that you can fight it. So that's, that's kind of what I'm doing now. You know, I'm just exercising a lot. I talk to people. I do what I can, you know, in my small corner of the world and, you know, I want to live my life and, and uh, enjoy that. Life, life is uh, life's too critical and it's too good uh, to lose it. So well, that's Glenn, pretty much it in a nutshell. Th- thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's a you know, as I said, it's a loaded question, and it's always, I think, the hardest question we ask on this podcast because there's no right or wrong to this question. Yeah. And it's fascinating yeah. to hear everyone's definition of it because um, it, it's run the gamut. And, you know, I, I want to thank you for being on the podcast because you've shared some amazing mental approaches to how you've beaten this thing. And, and I just have been taking a lot of notes here and, and something that you just said. And, and this has come up from another podcast where people have called pancreatic cancer the dragon and, and you slayed the dragon. You know, and you, you've beat the beast and it's powerful to hear. And we need more stories like yours. And and I truly believe, you know, you mentioned, you know, we, we, we have the technology to do this. And from hearing from your story, working with Dr. Chen, how you educated yourself, didn't necessarily uh, rely on traditional medicine, but also went the homeopathic way. These are things that I think patients need to hear about because you have to become your biggest advocate. You have to, you know, educate yourself. The tools are all there. It's just a matter of kind of putting them together. As frustrating as that may sound, and and you know, it does sound like it's a it's an arduous task, maybe to you know deal with a medical oncologist and then a naturopath, and then you know changing your diet and you know doing these things that not necessarily all are in one happy meal. Let's say to use an analogy here, but if you're fighting for your life, this is what you got to do. Yeah, so it's just yeah. a, just a powerful, powerful totally message, agree. powerful message. So I, I just want to thank you for for sharing all of that with our audience and and with with me, you know, here at Project Purple. Last thing is, you know, if there's something that someone heard today on the podcast, it might be, you know, the books you mentioned, or you know, talking to you a little bit about, you know, 
more of the naturopath or just kind of something that sparked their interest, where's the best way for people to connect with you if they're going through this right now? Um, well, I'm at, at uh, pancreatic support, pancreatic cancer support group on Facebook. Uh, I also, I mean, and I put it out there. I put my phone number on Facebook, you know, at that site. I was like, you know, cause I hear people say things like, well, yeah, they're going to do this, that, and the other thing. I was like, what are they telling you about diet? Well, they said to eat whatever we want. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> oh, and so I was like, you know, you hear them go on about the different issues they're facing and the things they're doing. I'm like, Hey, look, this is what I did. This is a real short blurb. And you know, I have like a one thing to say, Hey, I was diagnosed age four, 24 months later, not. And I'm willing to share, you know, what I did and, and uh, introduce you to my doctor. If that's a thing you can do that. I want you to have your best chance at survival. So, so then the phone yeah, number, do we want to give out your phone number here is the best place to get a hold yeah, of you. Yeah. Yeah, 360-463-3382. Awesome. Uh, I'm retired, so you can call pretty much any time. And you're on the West Coast, so just for our East Coast listeners, just keep that in mind. (laughs) You don't want to get a call at uh, 3 in the morning. (laughs) West Coast time. People people overseas are like, well, I'm in Australia, and I can't afford that kind of a phone call. And they're like messaging me on Messenger. And I look up and I hit the little phone. Yeah, you could do phone calls on Messenger. On their messenger yeah. and their phone starts ringing and they didn't realize that they could have called me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Messenger's great. We've done plenty. We've done a couple podcasts with uh, some folks from Australia and the UK on Messenger. So it's been really cool to to have that ability to, to make those calls happen. So, well, Glenn, I want to thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for coming on and sharing your journey on slaying the dragon and how a proactive approach has made all the difference in what you are doing. Keep inspiring us. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow us wherever you listen to Project Purple Podcasts. And until next time, thanks for listening and have a great day. Yeah.